This show is brought to you by my friends at Alliance and Trust. In wild times like these, you need more than financial product salespeople. You need a firm that looks at the entirety of your life and helps you with strategies that coordinate all disciplines of good stewardship so you can manage wisely what God has given you and thrive in these times of chaos and confusion. Have a team that acts as consultants in the business of you. Call 805-372-0821 to schedule your no-obligation discovery meeting. Welcome to the Bryce Eddy Show, where we are a threat to the Great Reset and uh, working hard to put the man back in mankind. And um, with that today, I've got a manly man who is a pastor, a uh, author, speaker, missionary, and um, absolute great guy, Lucas Miles. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you know, you and I are just getting to know each other, so I, I made some assumptions there that you were the manliest of men, so I, I don't I, really know if that's I've true. I've never had that as an intro to me on a show, but you know what? I might start writing that into, like, every every program I do that's a requirement now that somebody has to mention that. Yeah, well, I'm a natural hype man, but, you know, what I do know about you is that you are um, out there doing the Lord's work on behalf of the church, and by that uh, i listened to a you know a sermon of yours uh, this morning on the bold church and i know you and i and um you know the pastors that we're spending time with around the country you know we have that same goal and that is to kind of get the church to wake up and and be bold so um i wanted to have you on um for that reason as kind of a core theme, but also to just introduce you to the audience and, you know, love to tell, have you talk a little bit about your background and bio and, and some of those details. And then I know you got a book and other things to, to talk about. Absolutely. Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. Well, well first, yeah. So, um, you know, hit me with a little bit of your, your background and for those yeah. that aren't familiar to you, um, you know, how'd you come about life in this world? Yeah, so, you know, grew up in a, uh, a Christian home, uh, very thankful to have parents that still love each other, still married, you know, they uh, they actually live probably about a, a mile down the road from where I live now, which is great having them close by. Um, and uh, I'm a middle kid, so older brother, younger sister, and and we live pretty close to the church that I grew up in. And honestly, I, I kind of always describe, um, I, I sort of had a Samuel experience growing up in church. I was just in this building all the time. And I say this building because the irony is that church closed down in 2007. I had already moved on. Uh, I, my wife and I had planted a church in our hometown um, after being away for a couple of years. And my office that I'm in actually right now recording this is the same building that I grew up in in church. And this property, it, there's been a church on this corner for 150 years. So God's kind of brought me all full circle. That just happened this year. We've been in church for a while, but the building just came open. It's a 30,000 square foot property and uh, 12 acres, just really incredible. So we, we've just kind of, you know, uh, cool. acquired this here. But, um, you know, I, I just, I was in the church all the time, talking to pastors, hanging out. I, I broke into the gym so many times to play basketball. They eventually gave me a key. I was like the only 13 year old kid in the nation who had a key to the church, you know? And um, it, it was uh, youth group, all the, did all the things. Uh, at a very young age, I felt like the Lord called me into ministry. I was probably 15, 16 years old uh, after my freshman year of high school. And, uh, I'll, you know, I think we have time to unpack the story. So I'll, I'll tell it to you because I think it's, it's powerful. Yeah. I was at this youth event and I'm sitting there and this guy's, you know, preaching and, and, you know, thousand kids, one of these things that, you know, a high school thing at a, at a college campus over the summer. And, and he says, you know what, I'm going to, it was a Wednesday night. He says, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to pray right now that God puts a name on your heart. And when you get home that you're supposed to call this person and tell them about Jesus, you know and I mean? I'd never had like God speak to me or, you know, I mean, I was, I was in church. I read the Bible. Um, but I'm sitting there and this girl's name pops in my head. I didn't know her that well. We had a class together. She was very kind of alternative, you know, back then it was goth was the thing, you know, that's how I would describe her. She was kind of goth and uh, dressed in all black, the whole deal. And, um, I, 
I get home and I'm I'm 15. I'm still scared of girls. I mean, I'm kind of still scared of girls today, but uh, at that age especially. And and I I call her, and you know didn't have cell phones. It's the rotary house phone type of deal. And and I said, hey, I said I know this is going to seem weird. And I knew she was an atheist. She was very open about about being an atheist. I said I know this is going to seem weird, but. You know, I was at this thing and this guy said this and your name popped in my head. And I just want to know if there's anything I can pray for you about. You know, I stumbled through that somehow. And um, she just gets quiet. She goes, what day was that? And I can hear like a little bit of a quiver in her voice. And I said, it was it was Wednesday. She just loses it. And I'm, and, you know, I don't know what to do. You know, I got, I've got somebody of the opposite sex on the line crying, and I have no idea how to fix it right now. <laughs> and, and I said, uh, I said, what's going on? She goes, what time? And I said, I don't know. It was probably eight thirty. And it's just silence. And finally, I go, what's, what's going on? And she goes, we got to call at eight thirty Wednesday night that my brother killed himself and jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Oof. And uh, he had been a model in, in San Francisco and, and, you know, probably living, you know, kind of alternative lifestyle out there. And, and, uh, you know, whether, whether, uh, uh, you know, in drug and substance abuse induced or not, you know, he, he, he jumped off the bridge and, and, you know, I'd love to tell you that I had some miraculous story that night of how I led her to the Lord. Uh, that didn't happen that night. I did end up leading her to the Lord about four years after that. Um, but, what I walked away from that conversation, I knew that God impressed something on my heart and that he and that He spoke to me in a way. And and it was really kind of that first encounter, you know, like that. And uh, that whole week, I just really felt a call into ministry, never, you know, never really looked back, started preaching at 17, uh, you know, went to school, studied philosophy and religious studies at Purdue University, ended up transferring to IU um, to, to finish up my degree and kind of came back home. And uh, took a job at my home church as a youth pastor for a few years before moving out to Ohio, went to uh, kind of a more non-traditional seminary program out there in addition to my degree, um, and uh, ended up coming back to South Bend, Indiana, which is where I am now, uh, kind of a suburb of South Bend, in um, 2002, uh, no, 2004, and my wife and I planted the church that we're still pastoring, so we've been here for, you know, uh, 19, you know, going on 20 years now, and um and I'll tell you what, it, it gets better every day. Um, and we are we're trying to make Jesus famous. And and really right now we're doing is we're, we're pushing against uh, uh, progressive Christianity, trying to help people see the deception in this and lead them back to the true faith. Amen. Well, um, yeah, that's that's fantastic. And I liked how you phrase that. Yeah. Trying to trying to make Jesus famous um, because, you know, that's. Uh, you know, that's what's missing right now um, in our cultural narrative. You know, we're losing all of the underpinnings of, um, you know, our faith, of the Judeo-Christian values, of morality, all those sort of things have, have fallen away. And in its place is this, you know, weird woke religion yeah. that we're seeing that's dominating things that is... Um, you know, absolutely destructive, and you're seeing the worst of humanity come forth because of that. And you're seeing kids, you know, losing their minds, and you're seeing all of the, uh, you know, stuff that's happening in our culture. And I think it's it's the direct result, of course, that they don't know Jesus, yeah. but 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 also because they've just completely been removing any vestige of that, you know, moral foundation from you know from our um, institutions and everything else. And, and yep. it is more desperate than I think most Christians understand. And I say Christians and with air quotes a little bit there, um, because there's a lot of people that, you know, as we saw in the lockdowns, which was kind of the great reveal of whether or not, you know, you believed in something was whether or not you participated in um, you know, wholeheartedly in the lockdowns and all of the, you know, forced baloney, um, you know, did your church stay open? Did it fight? Did it resist? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, you know, so we, and when everything happened, you know, like I, uh, I, I'm kind of, you know, I think kind of that testosterone side, like as guys, like we, we kind of secretly love a crisis, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, when, when there's a problem, you're like, I get to go into go mode. Like, oh, this I, is I thrive. I thrive in oh, chaos. Yeah, this is like, I've been training <laughs> for this for my whole life. Right. And, um, and, and so, you know, when it first happened, 
man, we did we did all the stuff the first week, right? We we had teams making masks, we had teams making face shields. I mean, we were just like, we're gonna be the church and we're gonna get out there and we're gonna help people. We're we're visiting people who are sick and we're doing all these things. I'm talking about how during the the um the plague that happened during John Calvin's life, how he's running around and visiting people where everybody else is in hiding. You know, Amen, yeah. the church, right? And and uh and then like the, and we, we went immediately, you know, after Indiana was actually really great about, uh, I have a lot of criticisms of our governor, but in regards to how they treated churches during COVID, they actually did pretty good. So churches were uh, considered essential in Indiana. And so there was never a forced um, uh, shutdown on them. We ended up kind of all the initial chaos, the first two weeks, I think maybe three weeks, we went to live stream only. And uh, so our worship team came in, I came in and taught, we just did live stream and until we kind of started unpacking this a little yeah. bit and then pretty like very early on, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> <laughs> like, what's going on here? You know, this isn't, you know, with the, fir the first time they pushed it, I'm like, you know what, this, this, we're not going to do this, you know? And, and I finally, I, I don't remember if it was three weeks or four weeks or whatever, but very, very early I basically just sent out a notice to our people and I said, here's the deal. I work for God. I don't work for the health department. And I believe that all of you are smart enough to decide for your family what is the best thing. I'm going to be at the church every single week at regular time. And if you want to come, doors are going to be open. You can wear a mask. You can not wear a mask. You can, you can space apart from each other or you can all huddle up in a little ball together. I don't care. Um, but I don't work for the health department, so you guys decide. And uh, and that's just what we did the entire time. And honestly, um, it, it, you know, we we thankfully never lost anybody through COVID, um, you know, due to the illness or something like that. Um, we we stayed, you know, pretty healthy through that. Uh, we saw very, you know, very mild cases for anybody that did get it. And, um, you know, we uh, we very quickly became part of the fight and part of the, you know, kind of the voice to say, Look, government theory, really the government stepped outside of their sphere yeah. of sovereignty and they started trying to subject themselves and, 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 and uh, you know, kind of overshadow the role of the church. And so that's something we just we just can't do. So, um, you know, I, I'm thankful that that, you know, the Lord kind of showed that to us early on in the process. And I'm sure there's some people that didn't see what was happening. They thought they were doing the right thing. And later on, they realized uh, I'm, I'm just glad that we were on the front end of that. For the Alliance and Trust family, finances in their blood. I grew up with them and they've handled my entire financial world for nearly 30 years. And as a testament to their talents, they've managed to keep me not just out of trouble, which in and of itself is remarkable, but they've helped me build real wealth. They've assisted me through complex business transactions and family matters. Now, even my daughters are working with Uncle Randy to put financial disciplines in place for their futures. Invest with people who share our values and will help you to be a good steward with what God has given you. Let Alliance in Trust help you to plan for what's next. Visit aewealth.com or call 805-371-8020 to learn more. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. And and you know what, if you had said, hey, yeah, for a few months we were, you know, uh, meeting outdoors and doing, you know, yeah. I, I, I believe that there's a lot of churches that deserve a pass, right? You sure. know, because, because in good faith, they were, you know, maybe not as a you know, rabidly uh, willing to push back as, you know, maybe you and I naturally were, um, you know, because I mean, I, I, I gave it a couple of weeks where I'm like, is this going to yeah. be a thing? Are what yep. they saying, you know, is the world really going to melt down? I mean, you know, um, I have a, uh, uh, you know, I'm on the executive team for a um, security business and we were actually given by, um, you know, local law enforcement passes. Like, you know, if, if martial law comes down, you know, we're, we're going to need you guys. And so here you go, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so, so that, you know, when, when you start having those conversations, you know, it's like, Oh, okay. Somebody thinks this is really going to be a thing. Right. All right. Is it going to be a thing? And then I remember right. early on going, no, nah, I don't think this is how God's going to take us out. You know, that was, that was literally the thought that I had in my head that I don't think I, that's, that's his plan right now. I had one guy in my church who really, really early on, probably in January, he came to me and said, Hey pastor, he's like, I don't know if you've been seeing anything about what's happened in China, but it's going to be a big deal. And 
he started buying masks, he started buying gloves. And, uh, and I just, you know, I was kind of like, okay, all right. Yeah, no, you know, heard it before. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, he'd been, I think he'd been watching, um, Epoch times, which I just, you know, I just finished first season of my show on Epoch and, you know, ended up, I, I barely, barely, you know, had followed any of their stuff at that time. And, um, uh, it was, you know, he kind of really called it. He was, he was pretty advanced in, in seeing that. And so, you know, we had, we had kind of some early tip-offs that, 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 uh, I think helped us, you know, kind of identify some of what was happening, but on where I'm at on this whole thing. And I think you, you, you spoke to this right on, like as Christians, we have to, we have to be able to offer grace. I, I'm concerned about the perspective out there that says, you know, you, or you shut down for so long. And so therefore we're just done with you. You know, you have to give people an opportunity to repent. You have to give them, I mean, the Lord gives that to us every day. So we have to give people that opportunity. Um, and, and, you know, I think the same thing happened with everything after the death of George Floyd and all of the uprising of BLM. I mean, and here's, here's my, you know, uh, uh, one of my other criticisms of, of a lot of pastors out there is how many pastors after the you know kind of the the uprising after George Floyd's death and and all the talk of BLM I think pastors went into crisis mode and that was all on top of covid right I yeah. mean, it's all right there so much confusion in the world at that time and there was all these pastors and christian leaders who were posting the black square on instagram doing the blackout you know tuesday or whatever it was and and uh i i i understand i i didn't do that uh, I, but I understand, I understand in all the chaos, especially people, you know, if they have a more diverse church saying, look, I was trying to figure out a way to minister to people. I was yeah. trying to be all things to all people felt like this was the right thing. But once you saw, once you got wind that BLM is a Marxist anti-family organization, mostly geared towards promoting trans rights, um, then at some point you should go, you know what? Hey, church. I kind of jumped the gun on this thing a little bit. I thought I was doing the right thing. And you know what? According to God's word, there's some better ways to address this whole race issue through a biblical lens rather than through the world's methodology. And I'm sorry. And you know what? I've deleted that post. I've deleted my support. I tell you what, I've traced a lot of these national pastors. None of them have deleted the black square. It's all still up there. They're all still promoted on their Instagram page. And I've not heard one person ever, ever apologize for that. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's what I felt was exposed, and here's where I my you know my sort of grace ends, is um, you know when when they were uh, well, I'll build upon it this way: um, when you saw that they ceased to be shepherds, meaning mm-hmm. that they bowed to the fearful in their flock, and the fearful yeah. in their flock were the ones that they were answering to. You know, there I had a real problem with that. Um, and, and there's and there's people I love that we've had this conversation who are pastors who who said okay you're right you know who who've you know admitted that that okay I made an error you know people were afraid yeah. people yeah. were worried and I was and I was trying to cater to them when yeah. the job of a pastor is to be that shepherd and say mm-hmm. no do not be afraid you know yeah. our, our our hope is in Jesus you know he's got us um, settle down. You know, chill out. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna be okay, and we'll minister to you, and we'll help you and your family, and all that stuff. But let's not, let's not be afraid. And if you are afraid, hey, stay home, watch us on the live stream, fine. You know, but but it was the pastors that catered to the balance of the folks that were fearful, rather than providing that that you know stable, uh, powerful, courageous leadership. So I, I had an issue with those folks. Then yeah. I had an issue with the folks that. Um, once their livelihoods were the least bit threatened, they folded. Mm. That one bothered me more than anything else because I think exposed the guys that look yeah. at the church as a business and, okay, I'm not going to speak out because, hey, I could run into some threats with my tax-exempt status, and that's yep. more important to me there. Or, uh, you know, I, I, might, I might lose some people and I might have to tighten my belt and I may not have that new church building project and other things that are in the wings. You know, th- that's where I started to go, OK, there's some fakers and frauds out there. Yeah. You know, here, here's what got us ready for COVID. Honestly, um, we kind of went through a boot camp early in 2016. I lost about let's call it 40 to 50 percent of my church. Uh, around that election. I'm in South Bend, Indiana. I've been warning people since about 2012 that Pete Buttigieg was going to run for president <laughs> at some point. Um, and I, I've, you know, I've met Pete on a number of occasions and I'm, I'm sure he would claim to not know me, but, 
Um, you know, we watched that, you know, uh, his uprising, uh, you know, happen for a long time. And, and we started addressing a lot of issues on a local level, um, you know, through kind of his run for mayor here in South Bend and then into uh, the Trump's candidacy for 2016. And look, I wasn't standing up on stage, you know, promoting a candidate, you know, and saying, go vote for Donald Trump or something like that. Uh, I, I probably was doing some of that on my social media, you know, on a, on a personal level. But at our church, we just taught through a series on a biblical um a biblical response to all the hot issues of the day. Yeah. And we looked at abortion, we looked at gender, we looked at sexuality, we, we looked at socialism versus capitalism and free market and these things. And we just taught what the scriptures have to say about these issues. And we lost about 40 or 50% of our church. And I tell pastors, like, look, I would do that over again in a heartbeat. So once COVID got there, I was already so fired up. You know, I was just like, we're not going to bow for anything. Amen. We're not going backwards on this. And, you know, it's interesting. There's actually a, a model... I think to some degree to look at in church history of a similar time. And I write about this in my new book, Woke Jesus. And it is, uh, uh, there was, there was a, um, it was during the, uh, the, the Decian uh, persecution against the church. There was a Roman emperor and he came against the church and uh, Cyprian was the bishop at the time. And he basically had to guide the church through the end of this persecution and into trying to bring them back together. And I think this is really the stage that we're going into right now. And basically what the, what the, um, the emperor required in Rome is that every single, it wasn't really a persecution against Christians intentionally, but he required that every single person uh, make, offer a sacrifice to the gods of Rome and that you would get a piece of paper showing that you made that sacrifice. And so, and they would sign off on it. Well, you know, this sent the church into an uproar, right? Because a lot of people out of fear of punishment and ultimately death, because the punishment was very steep if you didn't do the sacrifice, um, they offered the sacrifice. And so you had Christians that were offering a sacrifice to this false, these false gods. Um, then you had other Christians who were afraid but didn't want to offer a sacrifice. So they actually, you know, um, found and paid people off in the government to offer them the piece of paper without actually offering the sacrifice. Mm. And then, of course, you had the, the Christians that were faithful that didn't give in to this. And so, and they, most of the time, they, they had to scatter or hide or that sort of thing. So after the persecution is over and Cyprian's bringing all the church back together, they literally had to figure out, they called them the lapsed. These were the people that had um, you know, kind of responded in and in, in lost lost you know uh, hope and lost uh, uh, strength in this and and really gave in to this you know, you know this temptation. Those that like completely offered to a false god, they were kind of just pushed out of the church in many ways. Um, you know, with with very if they were allowed back, it was under very specific circumstances. Um, but even for the people that just went and got the fake piece of paper, they had a separate seating area. I think for like a period of a year, if I remember right that they had to sit in and that's where the lapsed sit, sat. So you knew when you walked into the church that, hey, those are the guys over there. And basically it was kind of a testing period that like, you know what, we thought you were with us and we're not sure. And why don't you sit over here until we're really a little bit more confident that you're still with the flock here. I'm not necessarily saying that we should do that in our <laughs> churches, but it's an interesting time period to see how the church looked to bring unity during kind of a time of scattering. And I think that there's some things in there that that we're sort of facing today, you know, as we seek to kind of reconcile and bring people back. The difference is there was a lot of repentance during that time for those that had offered this. And today what I'm seeing is probably more people doubling down in their stance against, you know, this and and really staying in, in that form of, I mean, we have a greater divide now than we did in the Protestant Reformation, you know, in the church today. And so, uh, but yeah, just interesting side note there. I, I deal with that a little bit in the new book. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, I look forward to reading it. So uh, I'll have to make sure I get a copy because that... Um... We can make that happen. Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic parallel there. Um, you know, we... We definitely have a, a big swath of the Christian population that um, are unrepentant and are also, if they're not unrepentant, they're choosing not to really even pay attention to the fact that, okay, everything that we were told we were crazy for pushing against is, you know, yeah. is now established fact. Um, yeah. You know, all the things that we saw with the, you know, vaccinations and everything um, where we were saying, hang on a minute, wait, no, we're not interested. You know, all of that stuff is starting to be verified as true. Um, 
and you're and you're having so many of the um, again, you know, not as many Christians were were this aggressive, but you still have a good uh, a good portion of believers that were like, "Hey, you need to do this, and you need to not resist." And yeah. you know, all the Romans, you know, thirteen, you know, misapplications, and you yes. know everything else that they were all doing um, when we were saying you know, they're going to use this to abuse us and persecution and prosecution is coming. You better stand up now. You know, yep. many of those people are, 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 they doubled down so hard with their positions that, that they're not walking it back. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text Bryce to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold and then talk to one of their precious metals specialists. Think about this. To dig our country out of this mountain of debt, every single taxpayer in America would have to write a check for $247,000. And it's only getting worse. Protect yourself with gold today by texting Bryce to 989898 with an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews. You can trust Birch Gold to protect your future. Text Bryce to 989898 today. I mean, yeah, you, you have the David Frenches of the world, you know, to, to name names that lectured, you know, all the Christians every single week in an op-ed you know, um, for that they weren't, you know, living as Jesus by taking the vaccine. Where I go to, and this is something else that I that I write about, is this idea of sphere sovereignty. And so sphere sovereignty, you know, for those maybe listening that aren't aware of this, it's, it's essentially a theological term for the idea that God has given different realms of authority to different um, different positions and roles in, in his created order. And so, you know, ultimately God is the ultimate sovereign. He, you know, he sits over all, um, but he has given a realm of authority to a king, you know, to govern. We see that talked about in Romans 13. And specifically, that realm of authority that it talks about in Romans 13 is for a good king. It's not, it's not talking about a tyrannical leader. It's talking about somebody whose intention is to for the good of the people. And so this is one of the differences that we see in Romans 13. Um, I, we also see a realm of authority given to a pastor over the church. Uh, we see a realm of authority given to the father over the family. And we see a realm of authority given to an individual over their own body. And so, you know, these, these realms, the king has authority over the land only as far as it reaches the family. And then the family has authority over their house only as far as it doesn't violate the, the sovereignty of an individual as what would happen in abuse. So if a, if a father becomes abusive, the state, if you will, the king, if you will, has the right to come in and remove that child and get them to safety because the father has stepped out of their realm of authority and abused the, the child or whoever that is in this other realm, the individual. And so when we see the government all of a sudden come in here and try to force vaccinate people or the government tell people that you can't walk outside of your house, this is a violation of sphere sovereignty. So not only is this a violation of the U.S. Constitution, but it's a violation of God's system. And so, you know, this was, I think a lot of people really struggled to have a, like, they could kind of grab some of the patriot sort of language to, you know, say, I'm going to, I'm going to fight the man kind of ideas. But I think they really struggled to develop a theology of resistance, you know, to this, this tyrannical government that we had at the time, at least in these issues that was pushing against these things. Now, look, I'm somebody who says the United States is the greatest country in the world. I've traveled all over the world. There are so many great things about this nation. But this whole thing that happened, you know, during COVID, we saw the worst come out and it really exposed the the attempt for a long time to bring the United States under kind of a Marxist, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, framework and mindset. And, you know, to to talk to what you were, you know, mentioned the start of the show, how much, you know, they're trying to just erase all these things from our past memory. So we can't even draw upon the Constitution or the scriptures, you know, as a framework anymore. Yeah, hey, that was so well expressed, um, you know, and and that sphere sovereignty. I'd not heard that that term, but that concept, you know, I've been talking about. Um, be, that's a regular and ongoing theme that I have here on this show because I have said from early on in this, and and you know, I probably heard it from somebody smarter, but I have talked about how everything that we're facing right now is an attack on sovereignty. Yeah. You know, we're seeing an attack on um, you know national sovereignty. 
sovereignty with all of the World Economic Forum stuff, all of what the globalists are, are trying. You know, they want to remove sovereignty. And I don't think um, I don't think Christians understand that that's a biblical issue and that's an evil yeah. thing. God yes. does not want us to be global in that yes. sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, that was the problem. Though, if I can interject, that was the problem with the Tower of Babel. One hundred percent. You know, and so what we're seeing right now is it's what I call a return to the tower. And so all of this this structure of you know and and you know it's it, the the enemy's working is sort of a hydra. I, I don't think you know. I mean, it's like the socialists and the Nazis hated each other, but they were kind of the same thing in a lot of ways, you know. And so we're seeing that between the globalists and the socialists and Antifa and you know all these different groups. They're kind of all doing the same thing. They're deconstructing this sort of Western framework, Judeo-Christian values, etc. The interesting thing about globalism in and this realm of sovereignty is there's two things that stand in the way of, of globalism, the United States and Israel. And this is why Israel is such a focus, because it reminds the world that there is a sovereign state out there. And as long as Israel has sovereign borders, globalism can never prevail fully. Uh, and I think that, that this is why so much attention is on Israel. And But this Marxist framework is being applied there. I mean, you're even seeing, you know, come back to the church conversation, you're seeing Christians that are now starting to describe like Israel as they're the oppressor and, you know, Palestine's the oppressed. And they're using this Marxist language yep. to try to discredit Israel and ultimately kind of tear down that sovereignty. They're sucked right into globalism. And, uh, you know, it's 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 a problem. And this, this is why we have to educate pastors about this, Christians out there and, and Christian, you know, if, if somebody's listening to this and they're not a pastor, you need to ask your pastor some tough questions. Amen. Because you're not just going to know where he stands probably just by a message on a Sunday morning. Like my guess is I can hear a lot of messages and I can hear buzzwords just because I study this stuff all the time. And I go, you know what? I bet he's here or here. But but I think the average person, they struggle with that. And, you know, I, I deal with this in Woke Jesus is um, I actually open the book with uh, I, I like doing a lot of parallels between church history. That's kind of my it's, it's kind of my my thing. And 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 so um, Irenaeus, who wrote the book Against Heresies, he wrote it in 180 A.D. and, you know, kind of second generation of the church. And he makes the comment that the, the reason why the, the first century church was not able to def uh, refute Gnosticism and defeat it was because they didn't understand it. And then he goes on to write a 600 page book about it. Now, I didn't write a 600 page book. It's a 200 page book, Woke Jesus. But I, I, wrote, I spent 200 pages. I think we're in the same place right now is because people don't understand wokeism. They don't know how to refute it. They don't know how to recognize it all the time when it first starts. And, and they certainly don't know how to argue against it. And so I really wanted to give our people a resource that they can take and, and really be able to work through topically on these different things and, and really develop more of a robust you know, worldview and theology about not just wokeism bad, but why is wokeism bad and why is it anti-God you know, and antithetical to Scripture? Wow, that's exciting. You know, I'm looking forward to reading it um, truly, and, and I always read the books I commit to read, um, but because I do think that's exactly what's needed. That's that's what we're missing. Um, you know, you so many people um, maybe understand that there's something that's not right, but they need to be armed with why isn't it right? You know, yeah. why should we be pushing back against these things? Um, you know, no, Jesus uh, was not a socialist. Um, okay, you know, so you know, how do how do we you know understand that? And, and I bring that up because I was actually um, told that by a uh, you know fairly young pastor. Um, he was making that argument, um, and this is you know well before um, the modern times that we're in now. But uh, you know, and, and by that I mean pre lockdowns. Yeah. Um, but that that was just a terrible, horrific misapplication of what Jesus was doing in his ministry with his disciples, because, of course, you can voluntarily share whatever you want, right. um, you know, and Jesus voluntarily sharing with his disciples, you know, things and with the people around him uh, is a um, good thing for sure. It's not taking from your neighbor by force at the threat of the government to, you know, distribute to someone else, you know, it's, it's very far from that. And, and, you know, I mean, here's the thing that people, that, that people miss. I, I believe the book of Acts is what I would call descriptive rather than prescriptive. It is simply kind of a biography of the early church. It's saying this Amen. is what they did and this is what happened, right? And so we see doctrinal statements in there, um, but we also just see descriptions. We see, you know, Paul makes some mistakes early on. We see, you know, a conflict between the disciples, all of those things. It's it's all there. 
Well, when you look at the church in Jerusalem, that's really known for the book of Acts of sharing everything in common. It's kind of this, it's sort of this, uh, you know, uh, hippie commune, you know, kind of Jesus people sort of, you know, framework. Well, what happens? Eventually, Paul has to take up a collection later in the book for, for that they called the Jerusalem collection because everybody in Jerusalem, there's a famine, everybody was broke, they needed help. And so they had to go, they literally had to do a bailout for <laughs> kind of this, this church that like, you know, attempted this sort of early form of Christian, you know, socialism, if we want to call it that. That's very an- anachronistic, but like, you know, it, it's it, socialism is is antithetical to Christianity. Amen. It's responsible for over a hundred million deaths in the last one hundred years. Um, when you see Jesus is, you know, when you read his parables, every single parable has an element of personal responsibility yes. that completely opposed to the socialist framework. Now, actually, I believe that there's a lot of Christians, and this this is uh, this doesn't always get me invited back to speak sometimes because it's uh, it's one of those things that people don't want to hear. But the reality is there's a lot of Christians who vote conservatively that have a progressive theology. And I believe that there's there's Christians that kind of take on almost sort of a, a socialist stance with God, that God's kind of this cosmic ATM machine and and they're just going to sit back and let him do everything. And, you know, they're just going to. And so I think when the government presents socialism, a lot of Christians are already so accustomed to it by their by their framework of their faith because they don't they've never embraced personal responsibility within their faith i believe that salvation is by grace through faith but that doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play or that we don't as a result respond with action you know god's grace is not just an excuse to to you know oh god loves me i can do whatever i want no it's it's god loves me i'm going to dedicate my life to him and i'm going to serve him in every single day and every single breath and and so i think that you know sometimes christians have a predisposition to a socialist framework because they've already bought lies about faith that were anti-personal responsibility as well. So I, I think there's some tie-ins there and 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 uh, that 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 cross over at times. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right because it, it strikes some sort of sympathetic chord yes. within them. So you know, it, it sounds like oh yeah, that's a good idea, or they imagine. Um, and I think this is more dangerous that that is the goal, or that's um, that kind of thing is something. Um, you know, to, to, uh, um, you know, go after and aspire to, which, yeah. which makes zero sense. You know, there, there's a long history of this. When you look at, uh, and I, th- th- I include this also in woke Jesus, I will get you, I'm going to get you an early PDF. How about that? I would love so it. Yeah. I will, I'll commit to that after here. So yeah. yeah and actually it. with that, I will read it and I'll, and I would love to have you back on and maybe oh, we'll go, it. we'll go a little deeper. No, that's awesome. This is awesome. So, you know, when you uh, one of the things I trace in the book is this idea of what is called the historic or historical Jesus. And so basically after the Enlightenment, there was uh, and, you know, you've heard the guys talk about Hegel and Kant and this sort of thing. There was this push for uh, basically human reasoning was the highest the highest thing that you could obtain to. And so um, there the, the church was in a place where their kind of back was up against the wall a little bit. And essentially you had a lot of Christian theologians that out of a I think an initial um, uh, good desire to salvage the church in the face of this sort of hum- rise of humanism, they started looking for ways to make the scriptures more obtainable it's, or, or more attainable. There's, there's, it's very similar to honestly what happened during the seeker sensitive movement and during the, the kind of age of postmodernism is they were looking for a way to, because people are tripping over the miracles in the New Testament as, as you know, uh, good enlightenment thinkers, we know that there's no such thing as miracles. It has to go through the scientific method. And, you know, Jesus couldn't have walked on water or fed the 5,000 or even risen from the dead. And so they had to try to deal with this. And so there was literally a lot of this happened in Germany, and it was it, it kind of gave rise to a lot of bad things later on. But uh, there was there was literally hundreds of these what they called biographies about Jesus written. They called them the lives of Jesus. And they were trying to f- create basically a picture of Jesus's life, what they believed to be more actual history. Once you push through what, what would be called today the mytho history of some of the miraculous events in Scripture. And so what they were really doing is they were elevating Jesus's humanity to try to help him make sense more um, to the world around them and diminishing his divinity. This got to be such an extent that this is what gave birth eventually to the social gospel uh, and and sort of the social, you know, later on the social justice movement, you know, that, that we would know today. And so it, it became Jesus is the great social organizer. Jesus is the champion of the people. Uh, uh, Jesus, you know, for Hitler was the super minch, you know, uh, rather than the savior of the world. 
And so, um, you know, this is where a lot of the modern, you know, problems in theology came out of this. Critical theology was birthed out of this in combination with kind of a Marxist framework. Liberation theology, black liberation theology, all came out of this historical Jesus movement. And what we're seeing today, even though people don't know that term and they're, they're not aware of the history behind it, a lot of people have adopted really what, what I present is a different Jesus. And that, that's why I called this book Woke Jesus is because, you know, it's, 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 not, the, it's not the biblical Christ. This isn't the eternal Christ. This is a fabricated um, human being who never really existed, who is based upon certain aspects that they've cherry picked from the biblical Christ, but they've added to it this whole amalgamation of, of you know, humanism and Marxism and socialism and all this stuff. They've put this together and now they're presenting that this is the real Christ. And this is why we have to be careful just because somebody says, oh, I believe in Jesus. To today, my question is, which one? Because, you know, are you believing in the Aryan Jesus, the woke Jesus, the Jesus of black liberation theology, or do you believe in the Jesus who's actually in the Bible, who is the son of God, who is God in the flesh, God incarnate, who's coming back again, you know, because we got to clarify that now. Yeah. Um, wow, man. I, I'm, I'm so looking forward to, to reading this. So um, uh, that, that'll be good for me and I, and, and we'll get into great detail. Um I want to hit uh, another thing that I would love for you to weigh in on, and maybe you've seen this, but there was a um, Instagram post, and a you know I think it was all over social media of all of these clips of pastors around the country essentially saying the same thing, which is yes. you need to belong, you need to believe, then you behave, you know, kind of a thing. And I think yeah. I got that order right, but the yes, but did. but that um, what. What kind of um, alarmed me about that is just like the left, they seem to be in such lockstep yeah. with that very specific marketing message. Yeah. yeah. Um, so do you understand or know the genesis of how that kind of like, you know, who who sent out the memo? Yeah. 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 So, well, I mean, here's the interesting thing. So um, and, and you know, full disclosure, I, I've shared this, you know, before, but I I was uh I was on the verge of being a Christian leftist myself. And now this was before it was cool. Um, yeah. Throw, but, throw on know, a hoodie, man. And you could do it. I, I think for sure. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I, I grew up kind of the, during the age of rich Mullins music. Um, I used to read all the Francis of Assisi books. I used to, you know, get into the whole, I mean, when I, when my, my, I've been married now, it'd be 22 years this May, but, you know, I told my wife during our engagement, you know, I just want to, I, I don't care if we live a But you get married at 16, man? I'm yeah, I was, I was young. I was 21 when we got married. So, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, I, I, I got good hair genetics. That's, that's what I got going for. Oh, God bless you for that. Yeah. Right. Me, not so um, much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I was, I was caught up into a lot of that that uh, that messaging early on. And to be honest, like in in the early 2000s, I used that phrase. I I mean, I, I could find you a tape of me going belong, believe, behave. You know, I've said that before. We used to have that as a mantra for our church. Now, I never meant it. And I, I thankfully never got drawn into you leaving, you know, these major elements of primary doctrine or or, you know, throwing away, you know, kind of God's view on marriage, gender, sexuality, all that, that stuff was never appealing to me. But, you know, I, I, I wonder if I was a young pastor today and everything else had been the same, I think it would have been a lot easier to get pulled into that because yeah. it's cool now. You know, back then it was a little bit more, you know, kind of, uh, um, uh, you know, it, it, it was a little bit more countercultural at that time. How do you say I love you? Is it with flowers, chocolate? Can jewelry express true love? In the end, they all fall short. The only thing that can completely communicate the depths of your affection this Valentine's Day is meat. Not any meat, though. Over 85% of grass-fed beef sold is imported from overseas. That's why it has to be Good Ranchers. 100% American hand-trimmed steakhouse-quality meat delivered to your door. Don't say it how you always have. Say it with meat. Right now, you can get $30 off when you order any box from Good Ranchers and use the code BRYCE. This is a gift sure to add sizzle to that special day, whether on the grill or in a pan. Nothing simmers like prime cuts of beef, pasture-raised chicken, and premium quality seafood. You can get it all 
at GoodRanchers.com. Perfect for the lady, the man, or yourself this Valentine's Day. Good Ranchers is the gift that keeps on grilling. Ditch the usual gifts that just don't cut it anymore. Say it with American meat instead. Snag your $30 off with my code BRYCE at GoodRanchers.com today. Love is in the air, and it smells just like, you guessed it, Good Ranchers. Save $30 on your unique gift this Valentine's Day by visiting GoodRanchers.com. American meat delivered. Yeah, you were so, still competing against the fire and brimstone guys. And, yeah, you know. and, and, and honestly, like, you know, I, I tell people a lot of times, my what I do, uh, and I'm very careful with this word, like, apostolic, because it freaks everybody out. But when I say it, I mean this. There are people that are focused on pastoring at a local level, and I do pastor at a local level. But but I believe really my gift is what I would call apostolic, and I don't mean that in the sense that I should be the, the anointed the bishop of America. But I mean that in the sense of my my what the God the gifts that God has given me is really looking at doctrine as a whole, at church as a whole. How do we how do we solve this kind of big picture thing and and really come alongside people to help them? And so I spend a lot of my time sort of more in that national conversation, you know, probably even more so than I do at times in a local conversation. But but the local thing keeps me grounded, I think, and that's that's why I I've never left it. I I you know I've been doing this for a long time and plan to keep doing it because it, it keeps me. It keeps me in the conversation on a local level. And so, you know, I think that the the push for that, first of all, it, you know, maybe John Wimber, maybe er, early Calvary Chapel stuff could have could have said some of that. But that would have been like late 90s. Um, yeah. And, and I don't know the the timeline that they were drawing those things from. You yeah. know, they didn't have a they didn't all have a timestamp. I just thought it was a you know interesting collection. And when I you know, I, I played it, I was on a drive with a, um, a buddy of mine and I, I played it for him. And and he was uh, he wasn't saying um, you know what's wrong with that because he didn't think that there was something yeah. not wrong with it. Um, it also you know sat poorly with him. But I think he was looking for me to explain it, and I was a little bit of a yeah. loss to to yeah. um, you know to describe well what the danger is. And so I've been thinking about it a, a little bit since then. Um, so I, I'd love to I'd love yeah. to get your 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 take on on so on. I'll, um, I'll here a little bit. So, um, you know, when I know for, for me, and again, I'm, I'm not using that phrase. So just for anybody that's out there, we're, we're actively speaking against progressive Christianity awoke as of, if yeah. you haven't figured that out yet this far in the show. Um, but you know, when you, when you look at that, belong, believe, behave, I think that the, you know, to give the people maybe the benefit of the doubt, like me that were out there that kind of grabbed a hold of that phrase early on, um, and I don't, maybe I'm the Genesis and I don't know it. I, I hope that that's yeah, not you the invented case, it. There you go. It might be my fault. Um, uh, but, but, you know, I, what, what was in my mind at the time was, look, I want, before we start worrying on correcting behavior, I want people to, to find, you know, Jesus, if somebody's living, a um, uh, you know, alternative, you know, lifestyle sexually, um, my main goal when I meet them is not to fix their lifestyle. My main goal is to help them find Jesus. I believe that finding Jesus will, by default, fix most of the problems in their life if they actually follow him, right? And right. if they actually come to know him. Now, I think that there's some good stuff in that. And I think that there's always the danger in uh, the church. We have a tendency, the, the, uh, the, I'll back up and, and, and say it this way. The first two heresies to face the church was the Judaizers on the one side and the Gnostics on the other. We see the Judaizers talked about in the New Testament. This was sort of a, a Pharisaical group that had sort of blended their way into the church. They were trying to apply a lot of these, you know, very rigorous uh, requirements onto Christians and to the Gentiles as well. And, and they were, you know, spying upon the freedoms that Paul and the other believers were operating in now that they were in Christ. They were sort of the legalistic framework that was there. Then the Gnostics were more of a progressive approach. They believed that everything in this life was, was uh, basically evil. So therefore, it didn't really matter how you lived. My, my flesh was already evil. And so if I participated in, in you know, uh, uh, some sort of sexual perversion, it didn't matter because it was already evil to start with. I can't make it more evil than it already is as long as my spirit's connected to God. It's sort of the, the Gnostic framework that was there. And so you have these two things. We're still seeing that today. We have legalistic churches and we have churches that are progressive churches. And I believe both of them have an equal um, error to them. They can equally fall into heresy. 
I'm always more concerned about the progressive church because they typically disconnect themselves from the scriptures as a source of truth. The progressive church might, or excuse me, the legalistic church might be legalistic, but as long as they're still connected to the word of God, we still have hope of drawing them back to understanding salvation by grace and being able to really apply the gospel to people's lives. Uh, the church that cuts himself away from that begins to drift off in these dark waters of progressive ideology. So I, I think that the belong, believe, behave, there's probably some elements that if you said it differently that most of us could get on board with in a more um, biblical framework. But the way in which people are meaning it today is concerning. And I think that, you know, today it's not even like belong, believe, behave. It's just like belong, believe. We don't care. You know, there's you're you're, yeah. you're already behaving because God approves of your lifestyle and he's trans affirming and everything else. You know, they've almost cut that part out of it completely. And it's become twice as dangerous as it was before. Yeah, I think they've taken the uh, like that seeker uh, sensitive or seeker friendly movement and yeah. uh, they've removed all barriers whatsoever is what it seems to me to be. Um, and, and because I understand the idea of, hey, let's be a warm and welcoming place yeah. where people want to, you know, come in out of the cold and hear yeah. what we have to say. But the problem yeah. is, is if you're not saying it, you know, then, <laughs> then what the heck, you know, yeah. that's, that's where I think some of this stuff is, is erring where, you know, yeah, it doesn't matter what lifestyles you're involved in or, you know, what you're doing behind the scenes, you know, it's, it's all okay. Now, that being said, I understand that the church is filled with you know, some, some pretty extreme sinners. I mean, I know that I'm a, uh, uh, an extreme sinner at times, you know, I mean, I, I understand that, that we are all flawed, but it isn't our party platform. And that's what <laughs> this is becoming is right. it's becoming the party platform of these churches, yeah. you know, and, and they're, and they're, they went through that process of that, like, let's be this radically super open. And now we're, affirming all of these lifestyle choices as if they don't they don't matter to to God just as long yeah. as you say that he's your lord and savior. Well, let me let me help you make the headlines this week with the show. I mean, obviously we have the other thing that just came out with this Andy Stanley clip that's gone viral. Oh, you know, yeah. we have people seeing this and and you know, and I think there is a I think it's right to I'm going to use the word demand, and I mean that rather loosely. I, he can do whatever he wants. I'm not. I don't think we go circle his house or something like that with pitchforks, as a lot of times the left does. But but I think that Andy Stanley does owe an explanation because of the size of his platform and his ministry. Uh, I I've been concerned about him going left for a long time. I'm not yeah. alone in that by any means. But you know, he seemed to come out and affirm. I mean, I I think you know part of the quote was that people of the LGBTQ you know plus community have more faith than he does you know, oftentimes. And, and so, you know, some very, you know, and, and that he wishes he had more people in the LGBT community on his serving teams and this sort of thing. And so there's some really, you know, concerning statements in there. And, and again, I, I don't, I think that a guy like that is very intentional. I don't think he just, you know, is, you know, just saying anything out there. I think he's thought about this stuff for a long time. I think he's starting to kind of make known his position. I think we're going to see a lot more of this um, and in, in probably the, the months and years to come, you know, I, again, I think there's a divide in the church. It's, it's, a, it's already here, but it's getting exposed now more than ever. Um, and I think that, you know, it is, uh, to, to kind of, to your point of what you were talking about, really what's what, you know, every heresy is just sort of a regurgitation of a previous one. You know, the, the, um, the early position was a guy named Pelagius who was teaching against the idea of original sin. Uh, this is sort of a distorted form of Pelagianism that we're seeing and and basically uh and that was during the time of augustine kind of had to you know really deal with that and spends a lot of volumes dealing with it uh, but really what we're seeing is that there's no such thing as original sin anymore to uh, uh to the christian left that that you know um that being gay isn't a sin it's it's uh it's permissive it it you know the permissive stance towards it um you know uh you know divorce whatever it is we can go down the list there's no such thing as sin anymore and so god just loves you he's so good he loves you and it almost moves into this christian universalism uh, universalism thing that that god's so good that everybody gets saved you know that 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 he's so good that you know maybe even maybe the devil himself gets redeemed i mean there were christian thinkers in in history that you know proposed that idea uh they were immediately called heretical and now here we are again where we got you know all this crazy stuff coming up and and god is so good uh but but he also is is so holy 
And, and there's always a balance between those things. And God in his goodness doesn't want anybody to perish. In fact, you know, it's not that God sends people to hell. It's that we were all destined to go to hell because of, because of our separation from God through sin. But he made a way for us to be able to come to him. And anybody who chooses that way through the cross it has that it has that opportunity to come to him. You know, this this is a very basic understanding. And we could we could debate, you know, uh, um, you know, kind of more of a Calvinistic theology versus a free will theology, and you know, find that within there. But but we were going to find some agreement in the big picture doctrine yeah. of this, and that that God has made a way, and it, whosoever will, you know, it has this opportunity. And so, um, and I think that this has been so distorted, and and what we are seeing is really just the um, so many people's faith being shipwrecked. And the, the the gospel of the church being perverted to almost to a place where it's no longer recognizable as Christian. Yeah. Um, well, that was very wonderful and Franklin Graham of you. What I appreciate is you just gave the 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 you know Bible message. You just gave the good news there in that in that statement, which uh, Franklin Graham, uh, my wife and I used to always joke, did a nice job of no matter what question he was asked, he would get around <laughs> to the gospel and the answer. Uh, and and so that so that reminded yeah that reminded me of that. Well, you know, for guys like Andy Stanley and others, you know, um, at, at first, you know, we I want to give um, you know grace for people yeah. making statements that you know maybe they they said in an off fashion or they were clunky or or whatever. I mean, when you talk for a living, I mean, God knows, you know, I mean, this is a you know part time. Um, uh, gig, although it takes a lot of time for me, um, but just the amount that I'm talking all the time. I mean, I, you know, um, you know, I, I get grief because I say things wrong or I, you know, uh, miss express something. But what we've seen with him over the years, including, you know, he also said something recently about, you know, not really um, including the Old Testament. And, uh, and I'm going to mess up his, his quote there. But now it's a pattern of behavior where he's yes, departing, you know, from, um, you know, Christian orthodoxy um, that we that we uh, all agree upon is kind of the very core of it. Um, yes. And and yes, we can argue, um, you know, uh, by the fireplace about Calvinism and, you know, whatever sure. else we want to do that are those in-house debates. But he is he is off the reservation. And yeah. it seems like that's pretty clear now. You know, in, in my last book, The Christian Left, the way I describe this, and I, I you know, I grew up uh, near Lake, Lake Michigan. I still live about 35 minutes from there. And, and um it's you know you see these big swim buoys and i always joke i'm a terrible swimmer and so i you know i'm always aware of where the swim zone is when i'm in the water i doggy water. paddle like mad though i mean yeah, that I, I, world's champion there i'm not gonna lie so it's, <laughs> it's bad um but you know you a, a buoy is basically this big you know um uh you know plastic or rubber float and it's usually painted red with a white stripe or orange with a white stripe or something. It has a cable attached to it, and it goes down to some sort of, you know, either stone uh, that's that, or, 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 you know, plate that's tied into the bedrock so it doesn't move. And so that buoy is able to sort of float in a circle around, you know, um, as the wind and the waves come and the water rises. The water, you know, as the water goes up, it's, it's going in a smaller circle. As the water comes down, it can float in a little bit bigger circle. And, and I really believe that, you know, this is sort of a picture of what Christian doctrine looks like. That that there is a there is something that we are connected to, and that is the person of Christ and the Word of God, and we are connected to that and 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 really to Him um, through this cable of doctrine, and within that there is some uh, we're going to call it some flexibility and freedoms as long as we are attached to the Word to have some differences of opinions on certain things. Yeah, we could debate women in the church. I could, I could, you know, be on your show and I could take both positions and use scripture to back them up. And I could have that conversation with you. Okay. Um, I could have that conversation about once saved, always saved versus losing your salvation. I could have that conversation about spiritual gifts. Are they for the today or did they, you know, die with the canonization or die with the apostles or whatever. And so we could talk through that. And, and Christianity has had those debates for 2000 years. There's been great thinkers on both sides of all of those debates and and so there i think that you know what i would call those those are secondary doctrines there's secondary issues in our faith now somebody might hold to them very strongly they might have very strong opinions about them as do i but there's secondary issues and we're going to go to heaven and we're going to be next to people who have different belief who had different beliefs on all of those things and god's going to set us straight and he's going to make it really clear who was right and 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 probably all of us were wrong a little bit it's my guess you know and, yeah. and so but but there are primary christian beliefs 
that that are that you know aren't negotiable. And so as this buoy floats around, somebody can be on this side, once saved, always saved. Somebody can be on this side, and they believe you can lose your salvation. Well, they're they're both connected to the word, and they're they're brothers and sisters in Christ. But when that cable gets cut and that buoy just starts floating out into you know the dark waters. Um, they are no longer connected to the source. They've stepped outside of the realm of what we call orthodoxy. And so, you know, some people have a very narrow view of orthodoxy. They think it's just their little corner over here with their denomination. Um, but, but I believe that orthodoxy is broader than that and that we have to, you know, give grace to some different denominations to the, to, as long as they are attached to, the, you know, the Lord on primary issues, divinity of Christ, the virgin birth, heaven and hell, uh, God's created order, you know, God as the creator, you know, the resurrection from the dead, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We can talk about original sin, depravity, you know, all of these are primary Christian beliefs that we don't, it's not a choose your own adventure. You yeah. don't, I'm sorry, Andy Stanley, you don't get a different position on these things. You can't change the doctrine. This isn't even the constitution that I get to vote on at, with you know representatives and have an amendment to. That's the difference between scripture and the constitution. You can amend the constitution, I'll give you that. You can't amend scripture. It's, it's in fact forbidden by the book itself. And so, you know, we have so much confusion around these things and we're fighting over secondary issues when we really should be unifying around in primary issues and taking a stronger a stronger stance. Yeah, you know what? I, I like that analogy and I'll, I'll add a little bit of, of what I see the flavor in it um, is that when you said when it's storming and the waves are bigger, the circle yeah. tightens. And yeah. I think oh, that's what... I think that's what we need to be doing right now is, is I didn't even intend for that to be that good, but that's brilliant. What you just said. That's well, awesome. well, um, yeah, no, I, I thought of that right when you said it, yeah. because I feel that those are the times that we're in, we shouldn't be, yes. you know, fighting among ourselves, you know, broadly, uh, you know, yeah. a, around a bunch of those things. Um, I, you know, I grew up a, as a, a pastor's kid, um, and, um, my, uh, you know, family and, uh, you know, my, my parents were divorced when I was 13. They got back together, um, twice, uh, they were divorced, uh, they were divorced when I was 19 and then they got back together when I was 26 and then remained married and restored. Um, okay. uh, and so, uh, but as a result of some of that, you know, damage and pain in our family growing up, listening to my dad and his friends endlessly debate all of these things drove me out of my mind as a young man because because I looked around the room and many of those guys had fractured families and had, you know, things that they were not doing and uh, things that were absolutely falling apart or they weren't providing for their families or, you know, all those sort of things. And I was so uh, my joke is that I'm allergic to those conversations, Um, you know, when they get to, you know, like, uh, what would Jesus do in this circumstance sort of stuff around a campfire, Um, you know, (laughs) Uh, hey, look, that's what's led to. I mean, honestly, it, a lot of people have gone through that, and that's what's caused them to deconstruct. Yeah, is they've they've seen hypocrisy in people. They've seen you know all the infighting within the church, and and it's led to a form of deconstruction. And and uh, I think that you know I think some people deconstruct because of church hurt and and what I call post traumatic church disorder. It sounds like you might have had a little bit of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, uh, I think that other people. Um, you know, deconstruct because of of the, you know, a lot of times out of an empathy for others, maybe they have a loved one who is, you know, uh, uh, gay or trans, or they have somebody else in their life, and they're trying to find a way. This happens a lot when, when somebody has a, a child who ends up coming out, um, their theology changes, not because they wanted it to, but because they, they are trying to find a way to reconcile their situation. Yeah, yeah. God's word and really what what is stronger is the thing that will give and and uh, and the the blood of the family over the blood of the lamb for some people tends to be stronger unfortunately and they tend to give in that way and then I think other people are are more of just public opinion you know or maybe uh, they got dark money from the left going to their organization for them to stop talking about something or for them to start talking about something yeah we and have that, a couple of people on a lot of big ministries yeah we have a couple of people on that list which I, yeah. I found uh, I found pretty pretty sad. Um, yeah, well, I, I I think by the way, this is this show is my therapy uh, for all of the the stuff. So I appreciate that. That, that was that was wonderful. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think 
in these times, you know, we do need to, um, you know, to, to take a negative word these days of reset um, and, and apply it to this. We need to, to reset and come together. That's what Rob yep. has been um, brilliant doing with Charlie, with TPUSA Faith, is yeah. going out and communicating that, all right, there are things that we need to all come together on and wake up on, and, and we need to fight the woke left who's, who's attempting to hijack the church right now and infecting it. And yeah trying to take over that institution. We need to band together, fight that. You know, we'll argue the five points of Calvinism and the end times later. Yes, 100%, 100%. And I think that, you know, it's amazing. Like I'm preaching in churches that probably never would have invited me in because I was, you know, maybe denominationally on a different, you know, uh, side yeah. from them on certain issues. And because of the work that I'm doing right now, those issues were setting them aside. And I'm not going in there and pushing my view on, on you know uh, salvation or my view on Calvinism or my view on spiritual gifts or something like that. I, I'm going in there and, and we're focusing on the primary things that we need to focus on right now Amen. for the church to to really survive. And you know, look, I'm I, I'm an optimist, and not only that, I'm I'm a faithful. I, I, I believe in uh, I believe in the Word of God. Let me say it that way. And and the Word of God teaches that the church wins in the end. Yeah. That doesn't though mean that the church in America always prospers or that the church in America always exists. Um, we've seen, yeah. you know, I mean, how many I Italy, Germany, these were, these were, you know, central hubs of Christianity for a time. And it's hard to find a Christian church in these places anymore. That's still yeah. thriving. Yeah. And so it, it doesn't mean that that's not, I mean, America could have that same story. Uh, I I'm going to pray that it doesn't, and I'm going to do whatever I can to see that it doesn't. I've actually started an initiative called the American pastor project. And so people can go to AmericanPastorProject.org, and we're calling pastors to really sign a statement of biblical orthodoxy, regardless of their denomination. And and, and uh, Christian podcasters and journalists and Christian authors are all eligible to sign this. Uh, traveling, you know, uh, um, ministers, etc., to sign a position of biblical orthodoxy and to sign a commitment along with that to stand against wokeism in the pulpit. That you will not use your pulpit to promote CRT and LGBT and pro-abortion and all these sorts of things. And, and we're seeing people just like rally to this. Uh, it's it just announced it here at the end of the year in, in 2022. And it's been awesome to see some of the partnerships that have developed, people coming alongside. We're going to be rolling out all sorts of stuff to go with that. And I, I know, uh, uh, you know I've had the opportunity to talk to Rob just briefly about it at AmFest. And, and uh, we just appreciate so much what you guys are doing uh, and, you know, being able to come alongside groups such as, as, as yours and Turning Point, what Charlie's doing, et cetera. Uh, we, we all got to be in the fight right now. Yeah, amen. Well, yeah, love to love to see that for sure. Love to participate. Love to love to have you out. And um, you know, I definitely want to get you back on the show too, man. I appreciate this time. All about and, it. Yes. You know, so you. send so send me that book, and we'll uh, we'll we'll go through it. Um, how do people follow you? And yeah. um, you know, yeah, give so us that. Yeah, if anybody, I'm pretty easy to find on social media. I've actually, I, I know I'm probably going to get slapped on the hand for this one, but I do a lot on TikTok, and I'm sure they have all, my, China has all my information. I'm sure they do. They do. But uh, I, I've kind of chosen to uh, to throw myself out there, and so I do a lot of TikTok videos answering questions about Christianity. Uh, I'm, most social media, I'm at Mr. Lucas Miles, so TikTok, Instagram, uh, so at Mr. Lucas Miles, um, and they can go to lucasmiles.org and uh, find out about me if they're interested in maybe having me come in and speak or having me set up something for a book tour uh, at their location. Uh, we're doing a lot of that stuff right now. I'll be on the road probably the next 18 months straight, I would imagine, uh, on and off. So, uh, And then the new book, Woke Jesus, comes out um, in April. Uh, we're doing pre-orders right now, so you can order it through whatever platform you prefer, local bookstore or Amazon. Uh, you can order it now. That helps me, and, uh, and it'll ship the day that it releases. Uh, in April. And then, um, of course, go over to AmericanPastorProject.org and uh, sign the statement if you uh, if you qualify for that. Yeah, well, we'll put that uh, we'll put that in the um, show notes because there awesome. are people that uh, that follow us that do qualify. So uh, anyway, Absolutely. hey, I really appreciate having you on again. Let's do it again. And to God be the glory. My pleasure. Really was. Thank you.